Our summaries this week contain four criminal law cases, all from the Arkansas Court of Appeals. In Carter v. State, 2024, ARC App 84, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed revocation of a suspended sentence because defendant engaged in unlawful conduct. He made several arguments against revocation, and one of general interest is couched in the confrontation rights under the Sixth Amendment. Judge Thayer explained, quote, On January 14, 2019, Carter pled guilty to one count of failing to register as a sex offender and received a five-year suspended imposition of sentence. As part of his suspended sentence, Carter agreed to not commit a criminal offense punishable by imprisonment and to pay his costs, fines, and fees. In February 2022, the Hot Springs Police Department investigated a shooting incident in which Carter was implicated. His work truck, one that only he drove, was seen on surveillance cameras approaching the victim's house just prior to the shooting and leaving shortly thereafter. The GPS tracking on his truck placed it within blocks of the victim's home at the time of the incident and near the hospital in Little Rock where the alleged shooter was taken. A substance which appeared to be blood was found in the passenger seat of his truck. Carter was subsequently questioned about his involvement, but he denied any knowledge of the shooting incident. He did, however, provide a residential address different than the one listed on his sex offender registration forms. Based on the foregoing evidence, Carter was arrested on charges of aggravated residential burglary, first-degree battery, and failure to comply with the sex offender registration and reporting requirements. On September 2, 2022, the state filed a motion to revoke Carter's suspended sentence, alleging that Carter had been arrested on the aforementioned charges and that he had failed to make payments on his court costs and fines as ordered by the court. End of quote. Officer questioning at the crime scene. Defendant argued that testimony of police as to questioning at the shooting violated his rights, but this was unavailing. Quote, First, we must analyze whether Gillespie's statements to Officer Murray were testimonial in nature. Statements are non-testimonial when made in the course of a police interrogation under circumstances objectively indicating that the primary purpose of the interrogation is to enable police assistance to meet an ongoing emergency. Davis v. Washington, 547 U.S. 813. They are testimonial when the circumstances objectively indicate that there is no such ongoing emergency and that the primary purpose of the interrogation is to establish or prove past events potentially relevant to later criminal prosecution. To determine whether the primary purpose of an interrogation is to enable police assistance to meet an ongoing emergency, which would render the resulting statements non-testimonial, we objectively evaluate the circumstances in which the encounter occurs and the statements and actions of the parties. Michigan v. Bryant, 562 U.S. 344. Here, Officer Murray was dispatched to a scene of a shooting where he found Gillespie bleeding and suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. As Officer Murray was rendering aid, he asked him what happened. Gillespie told him that someone had knocked on his door and started shooting, and that he believed he shot his attacker. Officer Murray testified that his intent at the time 
was both investigatory and for purposes of rendering aid. Analyzing the situation objectively, Officer Murray was aware that Gillespie had been shot and the identity of his shooter was unknown, as was the shooter's current location. As in Bryant, Gillespie's statement was necessary to meet and respond to an ongoing emergency. Thus, we find Gillespie's statements were not testimonial, and therefore the Confrontation Clause does not apply to Officer Murray's testimony in this regard. End of quote. GPS Evidence The location of defendant's truck was significant evidence, and police used GPS information in their investigation. While defendant argued that the GPS evidence should have been disallowed, the appellate court found this was not preserved. Quote, Our review of the record reveals Carter did not make a confrontation clause argument with respect to the GPS data below. Instead, he argued that Detective Fallis' testimony regarding the GPS data was not the best evidence. Our court will not address arguments made for the first time on appeal. A party is bound by the scope and nature of the arguments made at trial. Thus, his argument is not preserved for appeal. End of quote. It is not testimonial evidence anyway. Quote, In any event, the GPS data is not considered a testimonial statement. Thus, its omission does not violate the Confrontation Clause. The Confrontation Clause applies to witnesses who provide testimony against the accused, with testimony typically being a solemn declaration or affirmation made for the purpose of establishing or proving some fact. End of quote. End of decision. In Rollins v. State, 2024, ARC App 83, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed a revocation order and considered an interesting argument of whether the circuit court judge, who was formerly the prosecuting attorney in the case, should have disqualified himself. The answer was no. Judge Barrett explained, quote, Judge Andy Reiner was the prosecuting attorney for Polk County when Rollins was arrested for four counts of delivery of methamphetamine or cocaine, plus enhancements, for his being a one-to-four habitual felony offender and for committing the offenses within 1,000 feet of a church in counts two and three. In 2020, Judge Reiner was elected circuit judge and took the bench in January 2021. Judge Reiner had signed an information charging Rollins for these offenses, but the information was not filed until January 19, 2021, after he took the bench. End of quote. Defendant, who was represented by counsel, signed a waiver of the conflict, but on appeal argued there was no subject matter jurisdiction to hear the case below, but the Court of Appeals disagreed. Quote, Rawlins argues that Judge Reiner did not have subject matter jurisdiction to hear the case because Amendment 80, Section 12 disqualified him. Amendment 80, Section 12 states, No judge shall preside or participate in any case in which he or she may have been counsel. Here, it is undisputed that Judge Reiner was the prosecuting attorney who prepared the original information against Rawlins prior to taking the bench. Subject matter jurisdiction, however, is determined from the pleadings, and once a proper charge is filed in circuit court, that court may exercise jurisdiction over that subject matter. 
Here, there is no question that the Circuit Court of Polk County had subject matter jurisdiction over the criminal case pending before it based on the petition to revoke Rollins' suspended sentence. Circuit courts have exclusive jurisdiction over criminal prosecutions. Arkansas Constitution Amendment 80, Section 6A, Arkansas Supreme Court Administrative Order Number 14. Rollins also argues that disqualification under Section 12 cannot be waived because there is no language authorizing waiver of disqualification in Amendment 80. Because appellant failed to raise his claim before the circuit court, the argument was waived. It is well settled that this court will not address an issue raised for the first time on appeal, even a constitutional argument. End of quote. End of decision. In Anderson v. State, 2024, ARC App 79, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed in a case where defendant challenged conditions of probation after his conviction of sexual indecency with a child. Judge Gladwin reasoned that the conditions passed constitutional muster. Quote, Prior to sentencing, Anderson filed two motions challenging the special conditions of his probation. One, a motion to challenge the constitutionality of the special conditions, and two, a motion to modify the special conditions. In the first motion, Anderson argued that several of the enumerated conditions on these special conditions are unconstitutional. He then specifically singled out conditions 1, 2, and 5. Further, Anderson argued that the condition preventing him from residing with any minor violates his fundamental right to parent his biological children, who were not victims in this case, and that Condition 2 violates his fundamental right to privacy and to engage in private, consensual acts of sexual intimacy with another adult. Accordingly, Anderson requested that the Circuit Court find both the Special Conditions and Arkansas Code Annotated Section 1693-305 the statute prohibiting probationers who commit sex crimes against children from residing with children, unconstitutional. In the second motion, Anderson sought to modify special conditions 1, 2, and 5. He alleged that conditions 1 and 5 prevent him from parenting his biological children, and condition 2 prevents him from being able to continue in his relationship with an adult that he was dating before being put on probation. End of quote. While the circuit court applied the strict scrutiny standard of review, which was incorrect, the Court of Appeals reasoned it reached the right result, even if stating the wrong reason. Quote, Here, Anderson was sentenced to probation after pleading guilty to two counts of sexual indecency with a child. Conditions of probation that prevent Anderson from having unsupervised contact or physical contact with a child under the age of 18 or from staying overnight in a residence where minor children are living, with the exception of his biological children, bears not only a reasonable relationship to the crime committed, but also a direct relationship to the crime of sexual indecency with his stepdaughter. Moreover, Dean Jordan testified that the special conditions were developed by the Arkansas Division of Community Correction on the basis of empirical data and are specifically designed to reduce the risk that a sex offender will reoffend. Anderson presented no evidence to dispute Dean Jordan's testimony. End of quote. The special conditions were Condition 1, 
you must not have any unsupervised contact or physical contact with children under the age of 18 unless authorized in writing by the court. Any contact with a minor must be immediately reported to your supervising officer. Condition 2. You must not date, socialize, fraternize, form a romantic interest, or have a sexual relationship with any person who has a minor child, even if they do not have physical custody of their children. Condition 5. You must not reside or stay overnight in a residence where minor children are living or staying overnight, regardless of relationship to the minor child, unless authorized in writing by the court. End of decision. Severance versus State, 2024, ARC App 87. The Arkansas Court of Appeals, in affirming a conviction of second-degree murder, considered a litany of appellant arguments, but one of particular interest is whether the trial court erred under Batson when it rejected the defendant's attorney's alleged race-neutral reason for striking a juror. The trial court disagreed and kept the juror on the panel. Judge Hickson explained, quote, Appellant Scott Severance appeals after he was convicted by a Pulaski County Circuit Court jury of second-degree murder and employing a firearm during the commission of the offense. He was sentenced as a habitual offender to serve an aggregate of 600 months incarceration. On appeal, appellant challenges, one, the sufficiency of the evidence supporting his conviction, two, the circuit court's refusal to admit Lindsay Krasovic's out-of-court statements made to law enforcement, and three, the circuit court sustaining the state's Batson challenge as to one juror. We affirm. Appellant's final argument on appeal is that the circuit court erred in granting the state's Batson challenge to a potential juror that appellant had sought to strike. The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States prohibits all forms of purposeful racial discrimination in selection of jurors. Batson v. Kentucky, 476 U.S. 79. During jury selection, appellate sought to exercise six peremptory strikes, and the state did not seek to exercise any. To repeat, the victim, Brandon Simpson, was African American, and appellant, Scott Severance, is Caucasian. There were three African African-American jurors on the jury panel. During voir dire, appellant attempted to strike all three of those jurors. The state objected and argued that because defense counsel sought to strike all the potential African-American jurors in the first trial and again sought to do so in the second trial, the circuit court should require defense counsel to provide a race-neutral reason for the strikes. The circuit court agreed with the state and asked defense counsel to provide his reasons for exercising those three peremptory strikes against the potential African-American jurors. Regarding one of the potential jurors, defense counsel's reasons included that the juror chose to wear a COVID-19 mask, had a close family friend in law enforcement, and was not a gun owner. The circuit court overruled the state's objection and allowed the defense to strike this juror. The defense argued that the second juror also wore a COVID-19 mask and seemed quiet and disengaged. The circuit court overruled the state's objection and defense counsel was able to strike the second potential juror. Regarding the third juror, 
the circuit court sustained the state's Batson challenge, and that objection is the subject of this third point on appeal. After a very lengthy discussion between the parties and the court, defense counsel explained that he wanted to strike this third potential juror because she was a non-gun owner. The defense explained that he would try to strike non-gun owners in cases in which a defendant was arguing self-defense because he felt that non-gun owners are less receptive to self-defense or using deadly force with a gun. Defense counsel did acknowledge that that there were also six other potential jurors who had raised their hands stating that they were non-gun owners. In response, the state acknowledged that the circuit court was in a difficult position in trying to determine the veracity or the truthfulness of whether or not that is the basis for the strike. It argued that there were other jurors who were not African American and answered that they did not own a gun, yet defense counsel did not attempt to strike them despite having a total of eight peremptory strikes he could have used. The state further pointed out that this was the second time defense counsel had attempted to strike all potential African-American jurors, end of quote. The trial court ruled from the bench that it did not believe there were race-neutral reasons for striking the third potential juror because others who were not black answered the questions identically, and the defendant failed to strike them. The court then ruled it was upholding the state's Batson challenge and would not allow the third juror to be struck. On appeal, the opinion explained the three-step process in considering a Batson challenge. Quote, Here, despite any assertion otherwise, the circuit court did, in fact, follow all three steps in the analysis of the state's Batson challenge. Once the party striking a juror offers a race-neutral explanation and the court rules on the ultimate issue of intentional discrimination, the preliminary issue of whether a prima facie case was shown becomes moot. Johnson v. State, 2010, ARC App 700. Although it is true that the reasons offered in the second step do not necessarily need to be rational as long as they are race-neutral, the third step requires a circuit court to decide whether to credit the race-neutral reasons or to reject them as pretextual. The circuit court orally ruled that it was rejecting the race-neutral reason offered by defense counsel, Thus, the circuit court followed the required steps in the Batson analysis, and we cannot say that the circuit court's determination was clearly against the preponderance of the evidence. Accordingly, we must affirm. End of quote. End of decision.